not related at all. But Fred Durst is wearing a wig, right? He doesn't have that much hair. No, man. I think that's really how he looks. Yeah, I think that's a wig, dude. Because like I thought, he, I thought the reason he always wore the baseball caps like back in the day because he was already balding. Oh, yeah. Well, that is it an elaborate it? comb over? <laughs> somebody made a meme of the uh, Beastie Boys sabotage video. Did you see that? <laughs> oh, that's perfect. And it was like them, and then I had the Fred Durst picture, and it was like, you know, Fred Durst as whatever. Classic. Yeah, Speaks. I don't know. Speaking of style, look at this. <laughs> look at that style. <laughs> Holy mackerel. George. Yeah, those the, the rolled-up pants, though. That's like... Yeah, they were ahead of the time, and then that went out, and like now it's kind of back. Yeah, look, look at that. Can you see it? Look at that metal blade, Warner Brothers. Yeah, love it, love it. All right, let's start. All right, let's get started. Yeah, welcome to episode twenty. Is something to do. I normally rattle off like a large thing explaining what this podcast is about, but that's not really accurate anymore. So I'm just going to strike that one out. Um, so this time we're going to be discussing the Goo Goo Dolls 1993 album Superstar Car Wash on Warner Brothers slash Metal Blade Records, right? Because it was metal. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, from the onset of when we had this idea and then to do these like, um, these like, I don't want to call them crossovers, but like the ones where uh, kind of adjacent. it's related. Yeah, the adjacent, like how we did the Foo Fighters. This is one that I'm, I was excited for from the jump just because I wanted you to hear it. And like, you know, one of the things I learned from where it went and doing that is like, it's different when you're actually listening to something for like scholarly in a scholarly way, almost like, Hey, I gotta, like, I can't just put this on. I gotta like really listen to it. And with a critical ear, that's it. And take, take some notes and kind of be like, all right, well, this is what I think. Cause I think that maybe if, if like, you might have viewed it differently if I was just like, yo, check this out. And you poke through a little bit and maybe be like, oh, this is cool or whatever. You know, I don't know. So yeah. I was excited to see what somebody who will go in with an open mind would think of it. So, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll definitely get into that some more too. Um, so like just a little bit of background though, for listeners of this podcast, Greg, is obviously a longtime Goo Goo Dolls fan, fan of this album. And for years, you've been telling me that I need to listen to it. And I've always kind of shitty of me as a friend, been like, yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. <laughs> no, I get it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but since our last episode, I did, and I took extensive notes, and we're going to talk about it. And this is actually... Yeah, no spoilers yet. Yeah, because this was my first time ever listening to, I think anything off this out um so uh before we get into it too much we should do just first like kind of what's new um the split single record release like happened mike mills on bass that finally came out that record is awesome yeah it's really good i you recommended it and i immediately listened to it yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh and also and also uh you know, when we ran into our mutual friend, Joe, Joe DeCarolis, he had recommended. And it was the kind of thing where I was like, why haven't I played this since the day it came out? I mean, yeah. it's got Jason and John from right. Bob's band and from Super Chunk. Um, 
and then it has Mike Mills from REM on bass. Like why, yeah. why wasn't this at like the top of my priority list? Cause it's been out about a month now at the time we're recording. I think it came mm-hmm. out late June and we're doing this actually today's the first day of August. Um, but yeah, it's awesome. Just really yeah. well-written, catchy, great harmonies. You get Mike Mills backing vocals again which is like always a treat. I mean, that was like the secret weapon for REM. I always thought was yeah. is uh, his backing vocal harmonies. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. I also saw that uh, on Norji Sheets Instagram account that he was stopped by four seasons, total landscaping, which is not related really to music at all, but um, that's hilarious. But yeah, but quite amusing for sure. Um, also not too far from Greg and I, um, what else? Yeah, not to focus too much on nerd, or we should focus a lot. No, I, I got one more piece related yeah. to before we go into our own spiel. I saw that uh, he's playing a set of Neil Young's, uh, like a Zuma like album cover. Um, who is? With Narducci, him and, and Michael Shannon, actor Michael Shannon are playing in Evanstown, Illinois, are playing a, um, a oh, cover yeah. set where they play Neil Young's Zuma, oh, which wow. is like... Is that a great record? I love it. I love it. That's got Cortez the Killer on. I need That's to. Like, I need to take you. You got me uh, for a birthday gift years ago. The only one I'm really familiar with is after the Gold Rush. Yo, Zuma is awesome. Um, yeah. I. Yeah. I mean, I like. I love so many bands that like ape off of Neil Young. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Teenage Fan Club and. Dinosaur Jr., obviously, and even like Sonic Youth with like a lot of the guitar wizardry or whatever you want to call it. Um, and uh, I was like, I probably need to like dive in a lot more than I have. Yeah. And like that album in particular, you can really hear how it influenced grunge. Oh, like, yeah. On every way. So. I, I, I can imagine, like, you know, because I remember he was always called, like, the grandfather of grunge, yeah. which I guess would, who's the father, Iggy? No. Or was Iggy, Iggy Pop, wouldn't he yeah. be the? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, you definitely hear it with, like, Stooges. Yeah. I don't know. People listening. What What, what is it? Who's the yeah. who's the grandfather of grunge? Is it Neil Young or is it Iggy Pop or is it are they both grandfathers? I mean, you do get a you do get a, a paternal and a maternal grandfather usually, so maybe yeah, good call. One is one I don't know who would be the grandmother of grunge? Patty Smith. Okay, yeah, we'll say Patty Smith and uh, yeah, Becca said Chrissy Hind. Is it Hind? Maybe uh, I always said Hind, yeah. I don't know. We're gonna have to find out. People, let us know who are the yeah who are the who are the uh, grandparents of grunge. So another thing, speaking of grunge in Seattle, even though this band has nothing to do with grunge, um, the Posies yeah played um, a couple weeks ago in in the Washington, I think in Seattle, and then maybe uh, well the live stream we saw a live stream. Yeah. Uh, from Bellingham, Washington, which is where they're from, which, if I recall, is about 90 miles from um, Seattle. But they did a show in Seattle and they did a little encore and they had a special guest. 
mm-hmm. relevant to our interests here. Um, they had Greg Norton from Who's Do. Mm-hmm. They did, um, and they played their song Grant Hart together. Yeah, so he mm-hmm. he did three songs with them. He did um, makes no sense at all. Keep hanging on, both from Flip Your Wig, mm-hmm. which is cool because yeah. they did a Bob and a Grant song. Yes. And then they did the song Grant Hart from the uh, Posey's Amazing Disgrace. If you want to hear about Flip Your Wig, we did an episode on it a while back. You should check it out if you yeah. haven't. Um, but yeah, it was cool. And, and you know, Jude and I were sending pictures back and forth like, yo, check this out or like little video footage. And Greg is just like, looks to be in excellent health. And he's like jumping around. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just, it really, it made my day for sure. Um, to see that. And I'm glad that the Posies, um, you know, brought him out. I know Husker Du is a huge influence on uh, that band. So I, I hey, I, I would love to find out more maybe about what the, what they think about Husker Du. I'll have to look for some interviews or something. Yeah. Um, then we got, we got some stuff too, right? Yeah. Shameless self promo. Yeah, we got a couple uh, one-up shows. Listeners of this podcast are likely aware Greg and I um, used to tour in a hardcore band together, and our discography is getting um, pressed for the first time, the complete thing on vinyl. Um, Shout out to Hell Minded Records and Joe for being awesome, Um, and that should be coming out within the next couple months. It's currently August 2021. Um, So super stoked on that. We got our test presses. Sound great. Um, Yeah, and like it's... I mean, I haven't seen the final vinyl because we don't have it. It's not yeah. pressed yet, but the mock-ups and everything look fantastic. Our friend Jason Mazzola, uh, who does – he's a dear friend of ours, and he um, also is on Where It Went With Me, mm-hmm. and he sang for Count Me Out, which, like, you know, we were just kind of like a poor man's version of Count Me Out <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> um he did the layout and I mean, he did such a knockout job and the insert is like, um, you know, when I, when I was doing, when I was talking with Joe about making this, I thought, you know, it's kind of a tough sell, I think, to get people like, Hey, buy this record of like a band from 15, 20 years ago that was never that popular, but like people liked, and here's all these songs that you may already have. So I knew that like I wanted the package to be something where like you wouldn't be able to resist basically where it's like just like looks nice. The insert we have, um, you know, stuff from friends of the band, people from, you know, bands like Give, if you're familiar, Fiddlehead, Mm -hmm. uh, Have Heart, The First Step, Roadies of Ours just wrote stuff inside because I thought, again, what's something I would like? Um if I were to buy something like this. Yeah. So a kind of oral history. Yeah. But just like, you know, it's cool. I think getting a history from not from us, like to get kind of a contextual um, painting of what it was. And it's just fun. And yeah, we have a show, Lord willing. I mean, we don't know. Fingers crossed. We don't know what's going on right now. Nobody does. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I hate to talk about that stuff, like to kind of date things, but that's the world we're in now. It's been almost two years anyway. But uh, show with Field Day, mm-hmm. which um, 
Greg's rocking the shirt. I'm wearing right the, I'm wearing my field day shirt. I had on my field day dog tags that I took off, so it didn't make this uh yeah angle that you hear. Um, we didn't want to confuse uh listeners and have them think that you were either an elf or you had spurs on your boots. <laughs> yeah. so, so field day for those that don't know, it's um uh Doug and Doug Carrion, who played bass for the Descendants for a spell, um, one of my favorite bands, and another favorite, Dag Nasty, and then Peter Kortner, who really in the initial run of Dag Nasty from you know 85 to 88 or however long they were originally banned, he was he probably played 90% of the shows. Like he's on their Wig Out of Denko's album and Field Day album. But uh, I mean, he was he joined the band before Can I Say even came out. And actually, I remembered seeing a Reddit AMA with Bob Mould. And they asked uh-huh. what what like 80s hardcore bands he liked. He name checked Dag Nasty. Bam. Um, Bam. So there we go. I, I tied it up in a bow. But yeah, so Field Day and then a festival in uh, Pittston, Pennsylvania, which is like by I think it's in between Wilkes Bar and Scranton. Which it always so. sounded weird when I would tell people like, yeah, we were huge in wilkes Bear. You know, that, that's always the joke. Like the band is right big in some weird place. But like, you know, that was kind of like our, the place where we really thrived. So that should be fun. Yeah. Um, if you want to check out any of the info, give the Instagram a follow at one up, O-N-E-U-P-H-C on Instagram. And uh, come say hi if you're a fan of the pod. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be uh, behind a microphone and Jude will be uh, on a guitar. Playing guitar. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, we ready to, do we, is there any other, I'm trying to think, I don't think there's any other. No. I mean, we have the segment, do you remember to, to offer corrections, but we never get anything wrong. So we don't even need um, someone on Instagram that. told us that we pronounced, remember we were talking about where the outpost was. Yeah. And we said it was in Stoughton or Stockton. Yeah. It's Stoughton. Stoughton. Yes. Someone, you know huh. what? Now I got to double check, but I'm, I'm, which I didn't, I never knew that. Um, no. I also oh, yes. would never have guessed that from the spelling, so I appreciate Not at that. all. Um, someone said, "Let's let's give it. Let's give a let's give credit where credits due here, right?" Um, DN user DN like Nancy I triple seven said it's Stoughton, pronounced S T O E ten. So I had no idea because again. It just seems like the kind of thing where it looks like Stockton. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. thanks so there, we do have a do you remember. Good. Thank goodness. Um, yeah, I live near uh, a place called uh, Gloucester, right? And if I didn't live in the area, I'd be like, oh, it's Gloucester. But yes. It's not, it's not Gloucester. Yeah. It's, you know, we have areas like that here in, PM, in, in Pennsylvania too, like where the pronunciation doesn't really seem to match the spelling, but what can you do? So yeah, let's move on to Superstar Car Wash, the Goo Goo Dolls. So a little bit of background. Yeah, so we're, 
We're oh, probably, this is going to kind of come out like, so there's a podcast I love called You're Wrong About, right? Essentially where the idea is they'll take like a, like a, uh, something that happened, like a, like a cultural event or a historical event, like the OJ Simpson trial, or like the idea of like, quote unquote, going postal, right? And they'll kind of dig deep into the research and the way that, that it's set up is that one person kind of like has done all the research, knows all the stuff, and the other person is like kind of getting schooled. Um, so it's already been made pretty evident. Greg, you are like a scholar of this album and of the Goo Goo Dolls, and I am not. So um, I would. I wouldn't say scholar, but I definitely. I think I. I think I know. Um, I did, as we would say on where when I did my homework. Nice. So. Goo Goo Dolls. Um, the, well, the reason that we're doing this particular album, um, full disclosure, I, this is my favorite of their records. Um, I also think that arguably, not arguably, I think that it is their best. Not only is it my favorite, but I think it's their best. I think the band has gone on, not I think, the band has gone on record as saying that if somebody had never heard them before, and this is even as recently as like within the last two or three years, they said, this is the record that they would introduce Johnny Resnick, who is the guitarist and singer. He has said, this is where he really felt like he became a songwriter. Like he was like actually able to craft songs. Cool. Um, and we'll, we'll get to that. So Goo Goo Dolls, they're a trio from Buffalo, New York. Uh, real like working class, um, you know, kind of town ethics. And they really, even when they moved away from the area and lived, you know, like I know Robbie Takak, who's the bass player, the founder of the band, he lives there again. And he okay. does a lot of stuff for the Buffalo community. Um, he has, he runs like an arts, um, like an arts and music festival he has a studio there called GCR, which is actually where this was recorded. I guess he eventually like bought the studio and renamed it or, or what have you, because uh, I don't know if it was named GCR back then. Um, actually, this wasn't done there. This looks like it was done in Canada, but I digress. So um, they do a lot of stuff for Buffalo. Um, a friend of mine has a podcast called Nickel City Soundtrack. Um all about Buffalo bands and they actually got um, Robbie on for an episode to kind of talk more about the early date, like first album era, Goo Goo Dolls, their connection to the hardcore punk scene. Um, Cause I think that's something a lot of people don't know if, if you don't do the digging is like, you know, this band that became massive off of Iris yeah a song from a movie soundtrack in you know was it i think it's called city of age i've never seen the movie um that they started out as like a rough and tumble fast punk rock hardcore kind of band um, yeah you know what i mean like like even like their first two records don't even sound like this like this um and we'll get to that so they start in 1986, um, they were originally going to be called the Sex Maggots. 
and they ended up changing the name to Goo Goo Dolls. So the band at that point is Johnny Resnick on guitar, Robbie Taycak on bass and vocals. He was on lead vocals. And the drummer, uh, George Tatushka. So they all have like hard to pronounce last names. Henceforth, we're going to refer to them as Johnny, Robbie, George. Got it. Got it. Try and say the last names again. Interjecting um, super. Oh, go ahead. Inter, but interjecting super quick. Sex maggots. That sounds like a like band that does like a string of shows opening for Limp Bizkit in 1998. Like, dude, and mag- sex and maggots, maggots would be maggots would be spelled like M A G G I T Z. Yeah, but I think they spelled it like maggots. Oh man, like that's the, the ins- oh gosh. Yeah. So I just a. I don't want to derail the train too much but no derail um, man i knew and when i was like in maybe sixth grade really liked the song because it was got a lot of airplay on mtv name by the google dolls right that's a great Um, song it was catchy it was catchy and um i think i remember seeing like a vh1 behind the music kind of thing on them um and i remember them saying that they weren't really happy with the band name and I also remember them saying that they were on Metal Blade Records. And I remember being like, in like, whatever, like 1997 or eight or something, being like, huh, the band with like the name band, like they were on Metal Blade Records with that. And this is obviously proto streaming. So I wasn't like going to take the money that I didn't have from the job that I didn't have because I was too young to have a job, go to the record store and like fall in a rabbit hole of buying Google Dolls stuff. Um, I always oh. try to imagine too somebody um that came in at dizzy up the girl let's say which was their sixth lp which already like think about that this band i mean name was on their fifth lp so arguably they're five albums in before they even blow up dang like to put that in perspective like nirvana didn't have five albums yeah period pearl jam like a band like Pearl Jam, Yield was their fifth album. Dang. So like, you know what I mean? Like, um, so that's kind of crazy already that like those guys were in their early 30s when Dizzy Up the Girl blew up. Yeah. So like old for for like a, a band nowadays, like, right. you know, that's an old age to first be getting that real like taste. But that's the one thing I guess about them is it was a very steady rise. And I think that's why they've been able to maintain such a large fan base is because, yeah, when you listen to the self-titled album and then you listen to um, Miracle Pill, which was their last record from a couple years ago, it's, it's jarring. Yeah. If you listen to them in order, I'm not saying that you're going to like everyone. I I have I celebrate the entire catalog. Do they have songs that are kind of like duds? Yeah, any band that has 12 LPs mostly yeah. is going to have songs where you're like, eh, this is all right. I could take or leave this. Yeah, Neil um, Young has entire albums that are like, mm. Right, like, it's like Skippers. Yeah. So it's like whatever. But the pro- the progression makes more sense. Yeah. Like you hear you hear name from a boy named Goo, which came after this, and yeah, that was the one that really this this superstar car wash had their first hit, um, which is the reason we're doing this episode is because Paul Westerberg um, wrote 
the lyrics for that song, We Are the Normal. Yeah. Um, he wrote the lyrics and, and the band wrote the music. And, um, you know, when you hear name, you realize like, yeah, they, they kind of realized that was what worked and they ran with it because name on a boy named Goo is basically like their version of having, and Johnny said like, they would get saddled with a lot of replacements comparisons but like he was like we were just as influenced by like bob mold and husker do yeah that, the idea of name was supposed to kind of be like uh too far down or hardly getting over it yeah and you um, can totally hear candy that. apple gray which we did an episode on that you should listen to it if you haven't so anyway they start the band uh the first record's just called the goo goo dolls it's on a label called mercenary records which i've never i don't know if they did anything else comes out in 87 it then gets picked up by a label called celluloid records which was a little bit bigger and the band was known for just being like relentless um touring a relentless touring and live act um and they started playing around the underground circuit opening for bands uh this is from Wik wikipedia but i've seen flyers so this is all you know uh, they toured with Gangrene, actually, from Boston. Um, they did a full, like, two-month U.S. tour or something. But Gangrene, SNFU, Dag Nasty, Bad Religion, um, Motorhead, All, Dead Dang. Milkman, Doughboys, Big Drill Car, The Gun Club, Uniform Choice, The Dickies, and DRI, as well as playing with, like, a bunch of Buffalo bands, like, uh, there's a band from Buffalo called Zero Tolerance. Mm -hmm. um, great, heavy, hardcore band. Um, hugely influential to terror and bands of that ilk. Um, and the Goo Goo Dolls would play shows with Zero Tolerance. Robbie um, produced the first, produced their first seven inch that was on um, High Impact. So the same oh, wow. label's turning point yeah. uh, that eventually became Jade Tree, yada, yada, yada. So then they get signed to Metal Blade, who I guess reissues the first album. 1989, they do a record called Jed. Now, Goo Goo Dolls, the album, Robbie sang every song. Robbie Takak, the bass player. Gotcha. Jed has two songs that John sings. So this is a, for his first time. He sings a song called um, Up Yours and uh, an acoustic song at the end called James Dean, which again, people were like shocked. And it's like they had an acoustic song on their second album. It was right. like kind of a goofy song, but like there's an acoustic song on the album, you know? Um, so John sings two of the songs. They start getting more, um, you know, more popular. 1990, their third album, Hold Me Up. I think it's a classic. It's like a pop punk, you know, melodic. Like so many people I know have been like, oh, yeah, it's a hugely influential record to them. The, the vocals are a little more evenly distributed on this one. I think John sings five of 14 songs. So he's starting to get more. Um, 
they did a single and a video uh, for a song called There You Are, which is one of my favorite songs they've ever written. And I think that was like supposed to be their big breakout hit. And it, it didn't really do anything because I've seen video of them during Superstar Car Wash era. They're playing the Metro. There's a really great, I think it's called like JCTV or something. If you go on YouTube, there's a, a set of them. It's professionally filmed, 1993. So great sound, great video. And then yeah. before There You Are, they say, this is the song that was supposed to make us famous. And it's kind of like, ha, 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 because we're not famous. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, they also had a song that, uh, in 1991 called I'm Awake Now. Okay. And that was featured on the Freddy's Dead soundtrack. And there's a Whoa. video of that because Metal Blade did that soundtrack. And I always wonder what if that was the song that made them huge? Maybe now they'd just be this like, kind of like, you know, still kind of have that more like crunchy guitars and stuff. Yeah. But, um, so hold me up. And then, uh, that also has an acoustic song on it. Oh gosh. Two days in February. Um, what's that? I was gonna say everything you're describing, like the trajectory of the band, like when we did the candy apple gray album and we talked about, um, you know, all of the pushback that they got and like flack that they got for like finally signing to a major and like their response to it and stuff like that. Now with like contemporary ears, you listen, I listen to that album and I'm like, of course they were headed in this direction musically. Like it makes perfect sense, but like everything you're kind of talking about with the Google Goo dolls trajectory, you're like, of course, like it, it makes sense to me that in 1996 or seven or whenever it was, like I saw the video for name on MTV with like, you know what I mean? Like the acoustic guitar part in it. And I, like it just, and now I listen to um, Superstar Car Wash and I'm like, I can see how all of the dots get connected from there to there. Um, yeah, like it's not, it's not to, to use a band, it's not uniform choice. Like it's not screaming for change and then staring at the sun. Right. Or staring into this. I never say the title right, even though I like the record. I, staring at the sun, I think, is a U2 song. Yeah. Um, staring. staring into the sun. Like, it's not that, like, it's not this huge leap. Yeah. Like, it was, it, you know, list, like, listen to the song There You Are from Hold Me Up with John singing. And, like, that could have been on a boy named Goo. Um, it's just a good, like, melodic rock song. So, yeah. They start to get, you know, hold me up really, I think gets them a little more attention. So they're still on Metal Blade, but then for their next record, Superstar Car Wash, we're talking about today, uh, they they get like signed to Warner Brothers, like as like a split label. To, I don't know the logistics of it, but basically there's a Warner Brothers logo on it and there's a Metal Blade logo, Got whatever it. that means. Don't know frankly don't really care uh, so this one this one uh, has a pretty even distribution of songs like it's almost like a husker do like every other song yeah. is like john or robbie you know john robbie john robbie um but you know john's becoming more comfortable i think as a songwriter uh like i said he's he said that this was the album where he really started to feel like 
like like yeah i'm a songwriter um they get paul westerberg huge influence on the band to write lyrics we are the normal is the song and it becomes like kind of a hit funny yeah. aside is that my first the first time i heard the goo goo dolls was in 1993 on the no alternative cd yes and it's not even like i didn't know it wasn't their singer singing it's um there's a guy named lance diamond from buffalo he's like a soul singer huh and robbie lived like above him or something like in these like apartments and they became friends so like on a couple of their albums they would have covers the first three albums would have covers uh like they do uh down on the corner um they do uh prince i could never take the place of your man they do on hold me up and Whoa, and lance should... diamond sings okay gotcha i was gonna say i guess check that up because that's that's prince is hard to cover it's it's a great cover cool. and and it's like um but yeah they do um uh i gotta look now they do down on the down on the corner uh on jed and that has lance diamond and they do on the first album actually the first album might not have lance diamond on it. let's see i always forget um yeah no the first album doesn't but they do do two covers they cover sunshine of your love and don't fear the reaper nice uh, on the first album but like in a thrashed out like punk you know total punk style cool. um and then yeah hold See. me up does um i never take the place of your man nice yeah see i didn't like i kind of knew that i knew about the metal blade connection like i knew there was like kind of vague punk roots but we'll get into this when we get into the track by track i didn't know that they're um cred ran that deep with everything that you outlined so there's a bunch of songs on it that i'm like this is a punk song like on this album like this yeah. is like fast melodic punk so i didn't know i didn't know that they'd earn their stripes that much um right so that so makes a lot like, more sense to me they now. if you think about it like when we talked to bob Meir. Like they just, they had that extra 10% yeah. to write a hit. Right. That was the only difference between them and the replacements is like, they had that extra, you know, whatever ability it is to yeah. write a hit. So then they yeah. did it. And it's like, like they've said, like when they, when they did name and name blew up, they basically were like, there's no turning back from this. Like, yeah, this is where we're going now. Like this yeah. is like, this is where our bread's buttered. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. And I think name was like an accidental hit. Like, I, I feel like it was one of these things where it wasn't supposed to be a single, maybe I'm romanticizing it and like a DJ just played it randomly, you know, hmm. and it caught on because That's if you wild. have that record of boy named goo, which is also great. And Lou Giordano produced it. Um, and I'm sure they chose him because of, you know, the Husker Du Sugar connection. I would assume. Um, the rest of the album's pretty guitar, you know, loud, crunchy guitars. Yeah. So, um, 
but yeah, like this, this one, I don't know, man. It's just, I think it's the perfect blend of like the earlier punk urgency with the real songwriting chops. And I think yeah. both writers, Robbie and John, some of their best songs are on here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, like oh, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was going to say they have two like hits collections, like early hits collections. And I think almost every single song from this album is on both of those. Gotcha. So I think like I have um, for the car, I have uh, what I learned about ego, opinion, art and commerce, or I, I, I always forget that title, but um, that has like, seven songs from this 14 <laughs> song record and then they have another one called like volume two because they put out a hits thing uh in like 2007 and then they did a volume two where it was like fan hit like not like radio hits like you know what i mean it was like yeah like these favorites. are the songs picked by the fans um so it was all like stuff from that era and um yeah, it's called What I Learned About Ego, Opinion, Art, and Commerce. And they have, from this album, they have Fallen Down, Another Second Time Around, Cuz You're Gone, We're the Normal, no. Girl Right Next to Me, Lucky Star, and On the Lie. Yeah. And a cool thing why I wanted to get that disc is it is, they're all remixed. Huh. like chris lord alge algae yeah. however you say it um so it's like different versions but it's kind of cool i digress um the band just seem really fond of this album even if they don't really play much off of it um when i saw the dizzy up the girl 20 anniversary they did play four songs from this which i was that's cool thrilled yeah um they usually almost never reach back beyond like past uh past this one or not past uh prior to this yeah one. yeah yeah um for the dizzy up the girl i think because it was like this i don't want to say gimmick because it was awesome but it was like because it was this like legacy show they did do two songs from hold me up which i never thought i'd see they did there you are and they did uh the acoustic two days in february but like if you look at their set list on set list fm 1990 and before those songs just aren't they're not played anymore yeah um so why don't we talk about the the songs yeah yeah i guess before we get into the actual track by track so my general thoughts on like a first listen through this i think you you can really hear like how they're taking what the mats did and i said i didn't know that there was like the open um influence from Husker do, but I was hearing a lot of that in the songs, which we can get into when we do the track by track. You can kind of hear how they're taking, in my mind, a lot of the major tenets of songwriting from both the replacements and Husker do, and they're they're like really running with it here. Um, I think that it's quite conceivable, like you said, that the the Google Dolls had the extra 10% to like get the hits. Like, I think that if the match stayed together and like obviously didn't have the sort of deliberate self-sabotaging, like um, 
behaviors or attitudes that they were famous for. Um, I think it's conceivable that they could have written this album. Um, I, I agree. I mean, Paul wrote one of the songs right. on it. Yeah, know? exactly. Exactly. Um, so I always like also, but to that effect, though, I don't think that it's, I don't think anybody does this, but I don't think it's fair to give the Google dolls flack for being influenced by the replacements. Like, I don't think to kind of like, contradict myself from a second ago i don't think it's necessarily fair to say like oh well, they're just ripping off the replacements or something like that like i don't think that's after listening to this album um i don't know the older that i get the more allergic i am to that general analysis of a song or like of just music in general that an artist or a band is like oh they're just stealing somebody else's ideas right i think um so I, so I wanted to be clear that I'm not issuing that as a statement in any way about this album, right? So like Nirvana is openly stealing from the Pixies. They blatantly stole a killing joke guitar part Nirvana did for one of their biggest songs, right? Um, if you listen to Come As You Are, it's like obviously stolen directly from the 80s, uh, killing right? joke. Yeah, it's exactly. 80s. Yep. Um, and both are amazing songs. Like I'm not um, sugar... Bob claims it was unknowingly, according to him, but Sugar ripped off the main riff and Pixie's debaser for a good idea. Like, so what I guess what I'm saying is that like I hear them being with this album when I listen to it now in 2021, I hear it being like a uh, uh, symptomatic of or like similar to what the replacements and Husker do were doing in that they were combining elements of like punk, but also elements of like other genres of rock and roll music and kind of putting it all into this, you know, uh, into this blender together. Um, and I think that they're doing it in a really cool way. And I'm not like, um, I'm not giving them a hard time for that. Like, I think it's cool. Um, yeah. Like, I mean, th this, and it's it's I think it's it's tough for people to separate to look at this as its own thing and not think of you know them having iris or you know them being right. on like having a Christmas album or or whatever. Um, that stuff doesn't bother me, but I know some people. So like, if you look at this as 1993, this album. I mean, there's no reason like this would be played on a college radio. Yeah. Right after Dinosaur Jr. or, you know, Seaweed or Sam I Am, which the, the, the bands, I think, toured together. Sam, or I think Robbie worked on a Sam I Am record, Billy. Okay. Oh, that album's called Billy. Um, and like they, they weren't out of place. Like they opened for Soul Asylum because Soul Asylum started to blow up, and Soul Asylum had the same kind right. of formula too. Like, right. hey, we're we're punk band. I mean, they they were they used to be almost hardcore, and then added more melody, more you know songwriting. So yeah, they they opened Grave Dancers Union, Grave Dancers Union era, Soul Asylum took out the Goo Goo Dolls and at that point they were playing Robbie I think mentioned like they were playing like you know 2,000 seat places and they literally thought oh my god this is the biggest you know this is insane this is the biggest thing in the world and then the Goo Goo Dolls then 
blew up. But yeah, yeah, I think this this um, album is a great entry point for someone that wants to check out the band um, and maybe see why they were linked more to punk than they thought. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. To get into the track by track, the um, so the first song, Fallen Down, right? Um, there's that like, which, so I was listening, I'm listening to this obviously for the first time, like, you know, as the songs are sequenced on the album. And one thing that struck me about this song is there's this like acoustic, I was like, oh, this is cool. They do this on this song. Um, there's like acoustic electric guitar, like overlaid, um, which I I was like, this is like a hundred percent like replacement style um, or even like Husker Du. Um, I think it's a really solid, uh, later, obviously, I think that that's something that they do on a number of songs in the album. That's kind of one of the sounds of the record in my mind. Um, it's a really solid opener. I found myself like humming this this riff like a bunch throughout the week as I was um, just like, you know, walking around my house and stuff. Yeah, so I don't know who the person, so I was looking at who produced this. I don't know who this person is, but it was produced, recorded, and mixed by someone named Gavin McKillop. Okay. Um, so, like, while you're – I'm going to do a little research in a second. Um, Falling Down, yeah, I agree. Great opener. Um, this was actually – there's a clip on YouTube. This was their February of 94. So, at that point, the album had been out for about a year. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing. Everything with them was a very slow – burn like name didn't become a hit until a year after boy named goo like they really worked they really worked for it um it didn't just drop out of the sky uh and and you know have them one overnight like they, they were not the definition of an overnight success even though you know some people may look at it that way because like oh where did these guys come from you know um but they, um, th this song was their network TV debut. They played on Conan O'Brien. Oh, wow. There's a cool live performance. This was also featured on, um, in the movie Son-in-Law with Holly Shore. <laughs> Shore. Wow. <laughs> and uh, so th this was on the soundtrack for Son-in-Law. So I think this was one they were trying to market as like a hit. And, um, you know, it didn't work out. One of the things that I wanted to address that I, before we get too far, another thing I think that differentiated them from the replacements, even though I know they're, you know, Paul and uh, Tommy had this like brotherly, um, you know, kind of relationship. But the thing that I think the Goo Goo Dolls secret weapon is the bond between Robbie and John. Okay. Um, they've never had like, they admit like they've argued and stuff, but they've, they've remained like, they're like brothers, John. I don't know if Robbie had any siblings. I feel like he might've even been an only child. And I know John had all sisters. He's okay. the youngest. He was raised by, um, he's basically raised by his sisters. Uh, if you look up and I, I know it was mentioned in the behind the music, he, um, his parents died when he was fairly young, like mm. a teenager. Like his dad passed, I think. And then his mom, like two years later. So he's like raised by his sister. So Robbie was like a brother to him. Yeah. Um, and I think that that bond is what 
kind of keeps um, keeps the band going because as long as as long as those two remain friends um, and remain like brothers, they're not going to have that um, you know some of the issues I think that other people have. I'm looking up Gavin McKillop by the way. I can't find anything on this guy. So if anyone knows. Yeah. Let us know. I've never, never seen that name. I didn't even notice it until today. Um, but yes, oh. Fallen Down, great opening track. It's a John song. Um, up next is, which I've seen them do live. They, You've seen them do Fallen Down? Yeah, they did Fallen Down. Nice. Um, so I'll and uh, next song is a Robbie song, Lucky Star. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, it seems to me like there's a little bit of a, difference in their songwriting to an extent. Um, and I think that kind of like the replacements, excuse me, kind of like Who's Your Do. It's, it seemed to me like they were kind of trying to like create a little bit of um, dynamics with this track order um, by like, you know, varying up uh, whose song was in what spot. But um, yeah, this is a great song too. Um, that one, the one line that jumped out at me was like total Westerberg lyric, as bright as you are, don't get burned by your lucky star. Um, that's just such a like classic Paul it Westerberg is. style yeah. lyric to me. And um, yeah, like this, I feel like at this point, they were both on equal footing as like songwriters. And that's not even said like Robbie, Robbie has songs on every album. Um, and some of them are oftentimes some of them are album highlights because he retains a little bit more of the grit. Um, yeah. So like even the last record miracle pill had two Robbie songs on it that are both really good. Um, you know, the dizzy up the girl has January friend and am I gone? Like, which are a lot more upbeat and fast than maybe some of the John songs. But this one is like a classic Robbie tune, super catchy. Um, like you said, cool lyrics. Robbie sounds great. Um, it's a great song. Yeah. So like quick kind of, kind of genuine question. I'm thinking of other bands that have, you know, maybe two people like, all right, obviously, this is a Who's Could Do Replacements podcast. Like we're talking about this album because of the Replacements connection. Um, they were a band that was very well known to have like two primary songwriters who um, didn't always see eye to eye, I guess, let's put it. Um, and were sometimes in competition with each other. Um, but like thinking of another band like Dinosaur Jr., like a band of the same era um, who had, um, you know, uh, um, two songwriters, uh, granted, um, uh, Jay Maskus, you know, is the primary singer of the band, but, um, you know, who had like a sort of uh, well-documented, like, um, falling out, right, um, when like Lou and Jay, um, when they kicked, kicked Lou out of the band or whatever, right, and then went off to do the right. Australian tour, like, there wasn't, so there isn't that kind of like tension between Rob no, and John. No, yeah, this okay, is gotcha. just like... Like, so John always says, like, he never would have even stepped up to the microphone if it wasn't for Robbie. Wow. Robbie urged him, like, you you sing, too. Cool. Um, so it's like, yeah, it's more like that. It's not, like, to my knowledge, they didn't have that, like, 
Like, I think it's just understood. And, and a lot of times they do attribute it to like that Buffalo work ethic where they're like, Hey, we're going to do what best serves the record. So if having, you know, seven Robbie songs and seven John songs is, is what is going to make it the best thing we can make it cool. I'll say the later albums have like two Robbie songs usually. Okay. Um, and then the rest are John. Cool. And um, to my knowledge, like, I don't think that that's like a point of contention. I think it's just like, yeah, John's like the guy, like John wrote, John writes the, the hits. And yeah. When I say the hits, I mean like the action, not, not necessarily the best ones on the album. Although, um, you know, a lot of times they are my favorites. Um, but he writes the actual radio hits. Like, yeah, the commercial. They have not successful. had a. Yeah, they they haven't had a radio hit. Like no Robbie song has been like a radio single. Yeah, I actually didn't know that. Like I knew Johnny Resnick's name. I didn't even know how to like how J- Robbie's last name was pronounced. You know what I mean? Like I guess what I'm saying like I Johnny. I as a person who's not familiar with their catalog, I wasn't really aware until we did this episode that there were yeah, two like, songwriters like no and a lot of people don't know because you think people that don't even buy an album of theirs they only see john you know they see johnny resnick singing and they think that but it's funny that they did do this transition from robbie to johnny sort of like um uh the band jimmy eat world in the beginning, uh, yeah. Tom Linton, the guitar player, well, and, and Jim Atkins is the other guitar player. Um, Tom sang every song, and I think maybe on their first album, so pre-Static Prevails, like a self-released, self-titled thing, uh, I, I think Tom either sang every song or every song but one. And wow. then Static Prevails was like a split like this. And Got then it. by the time of Clarity, Tom only sang one song. This is a um, complete like conversational side note, but Jim Adkins has a signature Telecaster and it's like the coolest guitar. And I like look at it all the time online, but it's a Telecaster. It's semi hollow body. It's got like, unlike other Telecasters, it's got a neck through, so it's not a bolt on. Um, anyway, uh, I mean, I think it's like maybe a grand, um, which is so like, not, yeah, that's, it's like, you know, if you're going to buy a nice guitar, it's like pretty reasonably priced, yeah. but, um, anyway, so I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, the early Jimmy world, like for several records. So, um, so yeah, so up next is a John song, uh, cause you're gone. I love this one. Yeah. This is um, really great. The, um, you whispered in my mouth and I spit your words right out. That's such a Westerberg lyric. It is. And it has like the really crunchy, uh, you know, crunchy guitars. There's cool. They, this one they've played live. I never saw them do it. I did see lucky star, by the way, that's what I wanted to add. Lucky star. I've seen them play. Um, cause you're gone. I haven't, but like they've been known to still have that in the set. And yeah. It's just a, I love the guitar riff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, my thoughts were like, I heard this song, I was like, this song is written to be like an arena rocker. Like it's, this is written to be played like in an amphitheater, like, you know, in July. Yeah. And they, they're masters of that kind of, I, I don't like 
start and stop type riffs, like how this one's like, dun, 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 and they really use the space. Like they have a lot of riffs where it'll be like a riff and there'll be just a little pause. And then like, they, they do that a lot, it seems like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is a great one. Um, don't worry is next. Yeah, this sounds like a, I mean, like this sounds like a Descendant style song to me, right? So this was the first song that really jumped out at me on the album where I was like, this is basically a punk, like a melodic punk song in my mind. And I didn't know, you obviously educated me earlier on this episode, but I didn't know they're like, that they're not lifting from like, punk music they were a part of the scene yeah like there's pictures of john with like a big descendant sticker on his guitar and like later john like you know like 90s maybe even later like a yeah. big yeah that's just someone uh it's like got a big descendant sticker yeah this one i agree it's like it's it's a robbie song so it has a little more of the grit it's a little faster mm -hmm. um but the chorus i love they would do the things where you know, don't worry about today and holding out the note and then someone, you know, John singing the, the words that you say, you know, mm -hmm. underneath and they have the, the way that both voices like uh, blend together. Um, they're really masterful with that. This is, this is a great song. Never heard it live though. Yeah. There's a cool video, their record release show for this um i might have sent you the clip i forget where they're playing at uh some record store in buffalo you can just kind of feel i don't know if they mention it but you can and maybe i'm just thinking this because it's buffalo but you can feel like i think the album came out in february so i'm just picturing just like snow all over the place mm. freezing cold but they're, they're in the store robbie's wearing uh the purple dinosaur junior shirt with the cow and they're in a record store and they do a bunch of songs from this and it's a it's a cool video so check that out but um yeah yeah don't worry good song sure yeah, that's i think awesome. it's i think it's the let's see it is the shortest song on the record actually at two minutes and 26 seconds yeah well i mean that's kind of what i was noticing to move on to the next song girl right next to me um every song's under four minutes like every song is um, they kind of, I feel like they get in, they like do what it is they want to do with the song. And then like, they're moving, like, it doesn't get stale. Yeah. Um, and I really and even like now they're not, even now their songs are not like, they don't write seven minute long yeah. songs, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, girl right next to me. Which actually I wrote incorrectly in my notes says write girl next to me, which still works as a song title, but it's not the title of the song. <laughs> Um, I hear a lot of Westerberg lyrics in this one. Um, they're like too cute by one turn move. Um, I made my bed. Now I can't sleep at night. Um, uh, I don't even know. I don't even know what to say. So I'm thinking out loud. Um, in my mind, just this song could be like, it could be read at home and please to meet me. Um, yeah. So even right like, down don't to tell the guitar Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they do, again, the like crunchy electric guitar over the acoustic guitar thing. And they make it work really well. Which I will say the, um, this is like nerd level shit. Um, but the the Chris Lord algae mixes 
uh, on that, uh, what I learned about ego, opinion, art, commerce thing. Yeah. Really bring out the acoustic guitar. Like mm -hmm. the way they mix it, you can, you really can hear the acoustic guitar layered beneath the, um, like the electric guitar. Like he, he kind of like brought it out a little more. Um, but yeah, I agree. This is a, a this one's very replacement C. Yeah. So next we have Domino. This Domino, one, this one's a little darker sounding. Yeah, well, that's what I, this kind of gave me like the ledge style vibes. Like, um, you know, so I'm already like kind of thinking like, please to meet me is like my kind of like framework for thinking about this album. Um, this is like a little bit more like, I'm with you like darker, but like still kind of got like a urgency or like a kind of melodic punk sort of feel to it. I still think that, um, you know, this could be at home, like next to the ledge, like on Please to Meet Me. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a fa it's like fast. The the chorus has like John singing his part and then Robbie just really like a lot of like venom in his voice, mm -hmm. um, you know, gruffness. Uh, yeah. It's another, and it's another short one. It's under three minutes. Yeah. So last song on the side, with, we are the normal. Yeah. With the, so yeah, this is, this was a hit. This was a minor hit. Okay. Um, this was, I think what gave them the first, the, the, uh, the taste of, of, you know, success. Uh, so the, I guess the word is John wrote the music, sent like a tape to Paul. And then Paul sent back lyrics and, and that was kind of it. That was the collaboration. Gotcha. Um, so Paul Paul wrote the lyrics. I think this is a great song. This would have definitely been at home on like All Shook Down, maybe. Yeah. Or, or Don't Tell a Soul. One of the later, or or on his solo album. Right, at that time, yeah. You know, it has the strings. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say the violin. That's like the strings. That's a really nice touch. I agree completely that I heard this and I was like, this could be on All Shook Down. Um the acoustic electric thing stuck out to me again. Um, I think it's a really great way to, you know, thinking about another another famous trio who we love, who's Gurdue. Um, I think that overlaying the acoustic and electric guitar tracks is a really great way to fill out the sound for a three-piece band. Um, Bob Mould obviously is like, you know, a wizard at filling out the sound for a one guitar band even now he's the only guitar player in the bob mold band yeah. um it's got that like anthemic like matt's style chorus um yeah the, it kind of that like the, the we live and we die no reason why kind of gave me like a bastards of young sort of like vibe to it sort of definitely um, yeah yeah it's like it is you do wonder like let's say you didn't know paul wrote the lyrics this may have still been a contender where like if someone said, Hey, Paul Westerberg wrote the lyrics for one of these 14 songs, I'd say like, you did already mention a couple with a Paul. So that this would, this would be the one of probably four, three or four that I would say, uh, he could have written this one. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great song. Yeah. See, it had, a, it was a hit. They play this. I had never seen him do it. I would love to. Um, but I think they've played this within the last couple of years. Cool. Cause I, I've, I've scoured set list FM 
to see kind of like what they still play. And um, cause I've seen them twice so far. Uh, they're coming back next summer. I'd like to see them again if it happens. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're great live. Like that's the other thing. They're just very high energy, engaging to the crowd, cool in between song banter. Nice. Um, they're just a really great rock band. Um, that uh, every time you've seen them, they're like, there's to this day still a trio. There's like nobody doing like, no, they have, rhythm key, they have someone okay. on keyboard. They have uh, an auxiliary guitar player. I think, well, I think one. Gotcha. Um, Cause now they don't even like now the band, the official band is just Robbie and John. Gotcha. And everybody else is kind of like live and studio musicians, but like, um, because I actually, after this album, George Tutuska. I see. I said I wasn't going to say last names. George <laughs> George recorded the boy named Goo record and then was kicked out like okay, gotcha. before they even before it even came out. So then they had um, Mike Malninen, I think is his last name, and he played in a band called Careless that had uh, a demo out that was being shot to major labels uh, that also had Brian Baker on guitar. Oh, wow. so this was after Junkyard, right before he joined um, Bad Religion. Okay. It was Mike, I don't know who the singer was, this guy Nathan December on guitar and Brian on guitar. And I guess, I think Nathan, and then I guess somebody else on bass. I don't know. Um, and they sounded... They were actually very influenced by, like, I feel like I remember Brian saying, well, Goo Goo Dolls Superstar Car Wash was huge. Like, that was, like, a big influence, like, that kind of, like, replacement-y stuff. And um, I think that was what led him to be asked to join R.E.M. And the other guy, Nathan, actually did join. But I digress. But that drummer yeah. ended up joining Goo Goo Dolls, and he was in the band for, like, almost 20 years. And then he got kicked out. Um maybe about like eight years ago or something okay. like that. So, and now they just, I guess they learn. They're just like, you know what? It's just the two of us. Everybody else is, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, huh. It's like a Walter Becker, Donald Fagan, or like a Kenny <laughs> fellow. Yeah. John like, a, Hour type yeah thing. like they're just kind of like, Hey, whoever's along for this the ride the, at the time. Cool. Yeah. But um, we're not going to keep introducing someone to the fold if they're going to be leaving. Or, or, you know, we're going to part ways. So flip the record over. String of Lies. Yeah. Yeah, this, this is one. another kind of like melodic punk song. So this is a this is a Robbie song. Is that right? No, it's John. Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah. yeah, this was like it kind of has like a kind of candy apple gray vibe. Well, it's John on vocals, but it actually the writing of this is credited to the, the Goo Goo Dolls, not... So there's some that are credited to John and some kind of Gotcha. Yeah, and this kind of reminded me of like Candy Apple Gray sort of era, Husker Du a lot. Um, I Going into this listen of the record, my framework for thinking was that like, you know, there was obvious connections to the replacements, um, but I didn't know about the, you know, the influence and like connection to other punk specifically who's gonna do um so it's like almost like sing-along style with the vocals the like string of lies we always compromise um yeah yeah that's good 
great way to, and, and if you think of it in terms of vinyl, like it's a great way to um, start the side. Yeah, energy. You know, we are the normals a little the, uh... more downbeat. Um, so up next is another second time around, which mm -hmm. I have seen them play. Um, actually, that's the first time I saw them, they did four superstar car wash songs. Then the following year, they did one, and this was the one. This, oh, wow. this is like a set list staple. Like it seems to make it in like to this day. Um, Robbie song. Um, another great song. Like this one, I think this record, I just think is their most, it's the, to me, it's their most consistent. There's no like goofy songs. Cause even it's funny, a boy named goo, goo was a bigger record than this and has a lot of amazing songs. It has some of my favorite songs they've ever done, but it also has like, um, you know, it ends with two obscure cover songs, um, of like, uh, you know, so it Boy Named Goo ends with like a song by a Buffalo band called The Enemies and then like some Australian band. I think they're called the Lime Spiders or something. So it's like this one to me is just the most solid. There's no covers on it. Yeah. Um, every there's no no skippers as uh, Javier, my dear friend and co-host on where it went and said there's no skipper so yeah another yeah. second time around great robbie song yeah super fun live yeah i'm hearing like later huskers like with this song like the acoustic electric thing again stands out to me it just reminds me of like bob style like songwriting um filling out the sound for a trio yeah yeah it's great so up next stop the world this is john um, I have seen that they did this song when I saw them, um, and it was awesome. Yeah, it's one got of my a real, really yeah. endemic chorus. Um, yeah, I think this song could be like read at home on "Don't Tell Us Soul." Yeah, I agree. This one's very replacementy, um, very you know, who's Dewey like, um, and yeah, it's super catchy, and it has that change at the end. Um, you know, that, that, uh, where it, I don't know if it changes keys. I'm not good with that, but you, like, uh, I can't change for the world or I can't think of the lyric off the top of my head, but do you know what I mean? It's like that part, which I was bummed when I, when they played it, style. I mean, when they, yeah. when they played it, they didn't sing that part. It was like done on a keyboard. Huh. Like they just did like a keyboard solo instead. And that's kind of like, oh, I love like the, the urgent plaintive, like vocals on that. And it was kind of, I was a little bummed, but what are you going to do? So next is Robbie uh, already there. Yeah. Yeah. Another melodic punk song. In fact, the vocal pattern and melody on this reminds me a lot of celebrated summer. Um, the whole song kind of reminds me of that, like, but in a really good way. Um, uh yeah i can see that yeah yeah it's like it's another class like i think robbie really like this is definitely some of his best material he's ever done um is on this album and then some of the next one um, gotcha like, so i i love the song burning up from a, a boy named goo gotcha yeah so already there is so 
uh, Johnny sings this song, right? No, Robbie does. Yeah, Robbie does. Gotcha. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I was trying to like as I was listening, trying to kind of figure out which songwriter or singer I liked more, and I couldn't. I don't know. I, I couldn't really decipher, which I think is good, right? If there's like two primary songwriters. I don't know. It makes me think a little bit of like when you get the like Lee Ronaldo songs, like on a Sonic Youth record and you're like, yo, like the songs that like Kim and Thurston. Oh, his are my favorite. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Um, um, yeah, no, it's, I, that's why I said, I think, and it's not a discredit to either of them, but I think on this record specifically, they were on equal footing for me. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So then next up we have on the lie. So this is another, uh, a John song. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I was kind of hearing like a little bit of like, uh, the Tom Waits song, Frank's wild years in the lyrics here. Um, uh, burnt down the house one night. Uh, he had a loaded six pack gun. Um, with the, like Frank, the lyrics to Frank's wild years. I won't try to, exactly remember and replicate for the listeners of this podcast, but I'm sure you're likely familiar or can check the song out. Um, I think that you can really hear with this song, um, how they're taking the, the latter part of the mat sound and just really like kind of running with it. Um, just like in the general temperament, the tenor of the, the songs, the, um, the songwriting itself, um, it's just, it's a really solid song. And so kind of to, to check myself a little bit, I know that I keep, I'm thinking about this, right? Just cause it's like my framework for understanding the album. Like, oh, they're kind of taking the replacements and like doing that or something like that. But I think that this song is an example of how they're a very different, like they're doing their own thing, right? And I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily fair to characterize what they're doing completely as, um, like, again, kind of my general um, impressions of the album, I don't think it's, after listening to it, I don't think it's uh, fair to not even just critique, but characterize this album as like replacements light, because it's, it's more and it's different than that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, I think it's kind of like a lazy comparison. You know, sometimes it yeah. just happens where it's like, it's like uh, the influence is there, but they're no more influenced by, you know, like the replacements than like you said, like Nirvana with the Pixies or with, you know, whatever. Like, it's like, for some reason they got saddled with that. And it, it did seem like sometimes they would try almost to like fight against it. Um, I think this, this song has some of my favorite lyrics, um, uh, you know, he asked what was wrong with me. He said, I look like a Hollywood girl. I said, Hollywood can fall into the ocean, man, because it's the ugliest place in the whole wide world. Like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and, like, that's, like, that's also a very, like, Westerberg yep. kind of uh, lyric for sure. Um, so, yeah. So we're, we're in the home stretch. Yeah. Next, we have Close Your Eyes. My, this is a melodic, like, my only notes are this is a melodic punk song. And I mean that with a lot of love. Like, I think that's really cool. And actually, this is tied as the shortest. This is also two minutes and, uh, uh, two minutes and 26 seconds. 
Um, it's Robbie. And yeah, it's just another short, fast, catchy, melodic Robbie song. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're talking to a guy who co-hosts a Husker New Replacements podcast. So melodic punk yeah. is like a, yeah, you know. it's a sweet spot. Yep. Um, yep. So the last song, So Far Away. Great album um, closer. It is actually, it's sung by John, but it's here. It's written by the by the band. It's not just his composition. This is the only song from it they've never played live. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's like a reason that they never played it live. Um, or if it's just like, that's the way the cookie crumbled. I don't know. Um, and it's also, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it is the only song that wasn't featured on one of those two hits collections. Huh. Like that's if really you guess both those hits, it's the only one that's not. Um, and it's a damn shame. It's a great closer, like you said. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually, until now, didn't know that it wasn't just a Johnny composition. Yeah, well, that was my um, my note. I thought that it was a Johnny song. So yeah, um, so he sings it, but like I guess, and that's the other thing. I don't know how they decided, like, like just like oh, I'm gonna sing this one. Um, but yeah, never they've never played it live. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, the the it's a great song. It's a great closer. It's interesting to me it didn't make any of those like compilations that you were talking about. The Tell Me Something, I don't know, is just stuck out to me as a Westerberg style lyric. Um, song kind of has like a, I mean this with love, it's kind of feels like kind of Boys of Summer style song to me. Um, just something about the. Yeah, um, like it's it sounds, it, I can see that like, um, or it sounds almost like the Atari's version of a yeah. of summer, which yeah. the uh, the uh, knowledge bank is Jason calls me that Atari's record produced by Lou Giordano. There you go. There you go. Huh. And, and Chris Rowe, the singer of the Atari said they chose him because of sugar copper blue. There you go. Cool. There we go. Yeah, All right. Just so. general. So 14 songs, 44 minutes. I feel like they, with every song and with the whole album, they kind of get in, they get out. They're definitely not dragging anything out. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. So, my favorite, my favorite Goo Goo Dolls record. Yeah. Um, so, well, what's your favorite song? on it? I want to hear yours first, since this was like your, because my favorite has been my favorite probably for the last you know, I've had this record in some form, whether it be CD, MP3, vinyl, um, for about 20 years now. Um, yeah. But for you, I want to know what yours is. The first track is like Falling Down. I think it's just like a really solid opener. It's definitely the one that I found myself like thinking about, like kind of humming to myself. I think it's like... Um, yeah, I think that they really wisely chose that as the lead-off track in my mind for an album that I have to admit. Thank you for bearing with me and like you know what is it like a a, a river cuts through rock with patience and persistence or whatever. Like you finally got me to listen to the album and it's pretty good, man. I gotta say. Um, so would you listen to it again, like willingly? Yeah. 
Yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah. So this is this is what's cool is this is different than the Foo Fighters episode. Yeah. Yeah, the, Foo, the Foo Fighters, Fighters episode, one yeah. was no, I wouldn't right. play that again. Yeah, no, I would put this on. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right. So my favorite is see if you can guess. We are the normal. No. No. All right. Give me one more. One more. One more shot. You get one more guess. Okay. Okay. Um. Domino. Domino. <laughs> no. Uh, All right. So I go. My favorite is the album closer. So ah, far away. Cool. When I found out that they didn't do that live, it like. I felt personally attacked because I was like, this song's so good. The, the the part that makes it for me is the end. The whole, like how it has the kind of like quiet part and then it builds up and the whole, if you break enough glass and there's no one to hear and your heart's full of hate because your mind's full of fear, let it go so far away. And the way that this builds up is so great. Yeah. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it's like a top, song of theirs for me and of course they don't play it live so oh. well that makes it all the cooler right like it makes it all so you so we bookended it yeah first and last song we had great great album if you're a fan of the hooskers if you're a fan of replacements forget about what you think you know forget about the weird ass fashion choices on the back of the record yeah and just play it but because yeah. look the hooskers weren't really known for their fashion either so no no but, and I also got to say, I love the album title. Like it's like got the, it's like a perfect dichotomy, like superstar car wash. Yeah. Yeah. And this is like a real, uh, this is a place in Buffalo, I believe. Oh, wow. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I'll have to ask some Buffalo people, but I'm pretty sure this is like an actual car wash in Buffalo. Cool. So nice. Yeah. So what do we got next time? So next time for episode 21, we'll be discussing Who's Cardu's 1984 SST release, Zen Arcade. So an important record, um, uh, an amazing record, one that I know um, actor Michael Imperioli is a big fan of. He talks yes. about. I saw um, that. Yeah. Um, That'll be a longer one, too. So you bring bring some, uh, you know, when, when you listen to it, you'll have to make sure you have your popcorn ready and a uh, nice cold drink uh and sit back and we will because i originally was like oh maybe we'll do it and i'm like no we'll do the whole thing in one shot yeah yeah we could do it yeah i love it we don't need as much backs this one you know because it's not like i don't think we're going to do other boo boo dolls records this one you know had more of a backstory it's an arcade we fill in some dots and then we just go over the songs yeah yeah so all right. Well, that's it for this time, folks. Thanks for listening. Well, Thank uh, you. See you next time. Dude, thumbs up. Nice.